All right, thank you, Greg and worship team. And with the thunder of little people's feet, there goes Children's Church. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, guys, before I get rolling with our, our message this morning, I just want you to know briefly, um, next week we will conclude this series that we are in. Following that, two weeks from now, um, one of our missionaries, Daryl Whitmer, will be here bringing the morning message. It'll be October 26th. Um, so if you don't know Daryl, um, you're going to want to be here to hear him. If you do know Daryl, you're also going to want to be here to hear him. So that covers just about everybody, all right? Following Daryl and leading up until Christmas season, we're starting a new series. I want you to know about it now because there may be people that you run into that you may think, hmm, this may be good for them to hear or be a part of. Our series after that is called this. It's called Arriving. This is a series that um, is built on actually an Old Testament word that some of you may know already called shalom. It is a word that is often translated peace in our English language, but it means much more than that. It's a biblical concept of fullness and oh excuse me and wholeness it's best typified when you feel like I've arrived or as is mostly the case for us we look at other people and think ah they've arrived (laughs) they've gotten to a place of peace fullness and wholeness in life and my contention is that we are made for this experience that we are made for that but there's things that get in the way of that and so For eight weeks, we're going to look at this full biblical concept of shalom, studying it in the Old Testament and New Testament, and learn um, what peace or arriving looks like with God, with other people around us, and within ourselves, what that means, some barriers to that, um, and what future hope and peace will look like. All right, so this is our new series coming up in beginning in three weeks, leading us right up until Christmas Sunday morning called Arriving. All right, so there you have it. Now, to bring us back to where we are now, we are in the fifth of a six-part series called Fearless. It's actually Fearless. Isn't that cute? Uh-huh, yeah. Fearless, not just fearless, because we already know that you can't be really fearless, and being fearless is actually not a good idea. That is, having no fear at all, because fear is a good teacher. It teaches you not to run red lights and not to stick your hand on the hot stove, that a little bit of fear of what might be will keep you from doing dumb things in life. That's, that's cool. Fearless series means we just want to encourage you to fear a little bit less in the things that you step into. The subtitle, Caught in the Stare Down, means that there are times and seasons in life, there are moments where you know it as well as I, where you just kind of are, are stuck on something, on, on an issue, on a moment in your life where you're not sure where to go. Should I or shouldn't I? Do I do this? Do I not do that? Should I say something? Should I not? You know, do I invest? Do I not? Do I buy? Do I sell? Do I date? Do I break up? Do I marry? Do I not? Do I change job? Do I keep the job? You know, do I or don't I? What should I do? And in that moment of kind of trying to decide what I should do, we get caught in a stare down, and often the stare down is with ourselves of the fear that is within us if I do this or the fear if I do that. And the series is meant to encourage us to fear a little bit less or vice versa then to trust a little bit more in those moments. And we've been studying the biblical character of Daniel as a model for us as to how to fear just a little bit less in each of those moments. If you remember two weeks ago, we were here looking at Daniel, and Daniel was in a moment uh, where he was facing the king, the most powerful man in the known world at the time, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel was like, I, um, I'm asked to interpret a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel knew that the dream interpretation was bad for the king. The king had the freedom to kill him at any moment. And so 
King Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream, and he says, now, Daniel, interpret it for me. And Nebuchadnezzar could almost see the, the color go out of Daniel's skin because he says to him, do not be afraid. Tell me the dream. In other words, I know it's not good, all right? And I know you're afraid for your life, but tell me the dream. And we talked about being caught in the stare down of those moments where it's hard to speak truth to people that we need to speak truth to and how hard those moments are when you are put in a situation where you have to stare down. Am I going to advance this relationship by telling the truth when it's hard or am I going to pull back from this relationship by retreating into the safety of anonymity and not stepping into telling the truth as I should tell it? And Daniel, the text will tell us, was terrified in that moment. He was terrified of what would happen if he were to tell the truth to a king who could have his life just at a word. And he told the truth, and things happened the way they did with Nebuchadnezzar. And we looked at that reality of living fearlessly, forgiving generously, and speaking openly. Now, we are in a new chapter in Daniel this week, and we covered only... Uh, in, in our chronological time, it's only been two weeks since we've last been in Daniel, but in history, in the book of Daniel, we have actually now covered a span of 36 years from the close of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5. And so, if you have your Bible with you, or if there's a Bible in the pew around you, go ahead and grab that Bible and turn it over to Daniel chapter 5, or if you have a Bible on your, your phone or your tablet or whatever it is, um, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 5. Um, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the pew is our gift to you to take home with you. Uh, you can find the book of Daniel in what we call the Old Testament. That would be the first, kind of the first two-thirds of your Bible. If you open up to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. Just keep going to your right, and you'll find some books like Isaiah and Ezekiel, and you'll find Daniel in just a little bit after that. Also, the table of contents at the beginning of that Bible will help you find Daniel if you can't find it. It's only 12 chapters long, so it can be skipped over in a hurry. So Daniel chapter 5 um, is where we're going to go. You should know this as we begin. Uh, there's no historical markers in the book. It just is 36 years. That's a big deal. 36 years from chapter 4 to chapter 5 where we're going to start. It's actually been 66 years since we've started the book of Daniel now. Uh, that, uh, that's the time frame between chapter 1 and chapter 5. You should know now, and here's what's important for us, is that Daniel himself is now 80 years old. All right? And so as we think about today and where we're going today, we want to, I want to talk with you about an issue that is facing every one of us. In fact, this is an issue that has faced you between what you're hearing now and when I began speaking this morning. It's actually an issue that began and continues to roll in every moment of your life, no matter how old you are. It's something we all face. It's something we all will deal with. And the only way that you stop dealing with this issue is when you die. So this morning, we're going to talk about this issue of aging. Mm -hmm. and of aging. Now, now, when I say that, there's some of you who think, good, I'm not old, this doesn't apply to me. Right. See, some of you want to get older than you are, and you can't wait to get older, and then you get old and you realize, I want to get younger. Right? I mean, that's just the way life works. And aging just continues to come and come and come. Now, some of you are so young that you think I'm old. It's amazing to me, all right? And, and some of you actually think I'm still young when I love you for that, for thinking that way about me, okay? So 
my, my platform for speaking is different based on how you perceive me and my current age right now. Some of you think, well, he might have something to say because after all, he has no hair. He must be old, all right? And others of you are like, man, he doesn't even have kids that graduated from high school yet, so he's not old. You know, what leverage or platform does he have to speak about the issue of aging? Well, here's the deal. Aging covers all of us. In fact, if you're not aging, you're dead, okay? And so the reality is we need, no matter what age you are, this is a shared human experience. And I'm telling you, and you know this as well as I do, we need people who model what it means to age well, don't we? We need people who model what it means to age well. And here's the stare down, okay? Here's the stare down issue for this morning. And that is this, that, that I would hope for you from this chapter in Daniel, that you can be encouraged and motivated to keep your edge as you age, to keep your edge as you age, to keep the edge of your faith sharp as you age. It is so easy, and you know people as well as I, it is so easy to slide into aging and slide out of relevance and slide out of influence and allow someone younger to take over and just fade to the back and then easily, and you know it as well as I, bitterness and frustration come in and it's just you don't have a voice anymore the way you used to and people are making decisions and you weren't a part of that process and it's hard and change is rapid, more rapid truthfully now than in the generation before. I think that's uh, just a commonly held reality of of our technological age. And so there's an easy um, context for frustration, bitterness, and anger to settle in. And here's the thing we know, that all of us, if I were to ask you, do you want to age well or do you want to age poorly, all of you would say, I want to age well. In fact, if you're honest, you'd also say, I plan to age well. But then if I were to ask you, what's your plan? See, nothing great happens by accident, does it? None of us stumble into greatness, do we? None of us just happen to be great people. That comes with intentionality. That comes with thoughtfulness. It comes with encouragement from other people. And as I talk about aging this morning, I'd like to give you a little bit of hope, a little bit of courage and encouragement to to think, as I'm aging, despite all the obstacles that come from that, what will it look like for me to keep the edge of my faith? Well, what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to think of two people in your mind who you think are old, No names, all right? No nudging elbows, no pointing at people. But I'd like you to think, and okay, there could also be someone who's now no no longer alive and who was old at one point in their life, okay? And, And the two people I want you to think of, I want you to have them in mind. One person who aged poorly. And you think of them and you think, man, I respect them as a person, but I do not want to age like they did. I I just don't want to age like they did. And then conversely, I want you to think of one person that you look at and you think, I would like to age like them. They did it well. They finished well. They were gracious. They were strong. They were intentional, loving, caring, right to the end. I want you to think of those two people. Get those people in your mind. I'll give you a, a moment to do that. One who aged poorly and one who aged well. Got it? All right, keep them in mind. I'm going to come back to them in a moment. Here's what C.S. Lewis had to say about aging. He said, you're never too old to set another goal or dream a new dream. So I want to encourage you with this reality. You're never too old. 
I don't care where you're at now. You're never too old to do this. I love the, love the way Henry David Thoreau said it about aging. He said, none are so old as those who have outlived enthusiasm. Isn't that true? None are so old as those who have outlived enthusiasm. Uh, I like the way that he puts it. The Bible has a ton to say about aging. Almost all of it is positive. You should know that. Almost all of it is positive and helpful and respectful. You know, Proverbs 16.31 talks about gray hair being a crown of glory. It's gained in a righteous life. Leviticus 19 says, rise in the presence of the age and show respect for the elderly and revere your God. Job 12.12 says, is not wisdom found among the age? Does not long life bring understanding? In 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, Paul writes, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, all right, we're getting older outwardly, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In the little book of Ruth in the Old Testament, we read there that he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And finally, some of you know this verse in Psalm 23, a very popular psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right. Aging is pictured in the, in the Old Testament and the New, by and large, as a good thing, as a thing that, that we need people men and women who will age well and who will keep the edge of their faith for the generations to come, all right? So with this background, let's get into our little story in Daniel. In Daniel chapter five, again, 36 years from chapter four, a man who is now 80 years old, beginning in verse one of Daniel five. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom." Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. And so King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. Right, let's push the pause button on there and just do some history real quick. In this time, we have a historian who wrote, um, Catesius was his name, he was a historian related to the Persian Empire. He wrote that it was not uncommon for kings, Persian kings, to, to eat daily, and check this out, to eat daily with a total of 15,000 people. I want you to think about that for a minute, the amazing reality of that. To eat daily with 15,000 people it was not uncommon, Catesius, historian writes. And so we have a king, Belshazzar, eating with, with 1,000 people, it says here in verse 1. He gave a great banquet for 1,000 of his people and, and, and drank together. And in that moment of drunkenness and the, the fun that comes with that and everything, they brought in the, the instruments from the temple in Jerusalem that was conquered 
uh, many years ago, and they brought them out of the closet, all right, and brought them in and said, let's now drink from these things, and let's prove again how powerful we are as Babylonians. And you should know they're, they're in a city uh, in Babylon. Uh, get your mind around this for a minute. Babylon had not been conquered for a thousand years. They, you know, if we're honest, in North America, we feel fairly impenetrable. And we understand what's happening with ISIS in the Middle East, right? We understand that. We don't like that. We, we want that to kind of go away and be dealt with. But we don't have that fear in Philly, do we? I mean, we don't have that fear in the Pequot Valley community that's going to happen because we're confident in the security of our nation, at least confident enough. Right? We don't expect there to be mass anarchy. We don't expect some country, whatever, pick on a country to come and overtake America. We just don't expect that. There is just a confidence built in generation upon generation upon generation by the defense put up by and the power of the U.S. government. Whether you like it or not, whatever, right? just how we feel. We haven't even been around for 300 years, right? Babylon hasn't been conquered for a thousand years. Babylon, the, the, the center city there, they have 14 square mile area and they have a wall around their city. Now this may seem archaic to us, but it's this reality. Their wall that covers 14 square miles. All right, someone do the math on that. You're smarter than me. It is, it is 87 feet wide. Okay, wide. It is, it is 350 feet high. Okay, now do the math on how much stone you need to pull that baby off. You can, you can fit four chariots wide on top of the wall to go around the wall. The wall has a hundred gates in it and hundreds of towers that go an additional hundred feet above the 350 feet of that wall. And that, by the way, is just the first wall. Because after you could get through that wall, then there's a moat. And then after that moat is the second wall that is equally as impenetrable. And then inside of that lies Babylon. And so it's no wonder that in the middle of this moment in history that, that King Belshazzar is sitting in Babylon and quite confident in throwing a feast for a thousand people in his, in his palace. Because the ironic thing is outside of these walls, and he knew it was happening, outside of these walls, the Medes and the Persians have actually attacked the countryside and they've won. And they've been sitting outside of Babylon for years trying to figure out how to get in. And he's under siege. He's under military siege. And he throws a party. Because we've been here a thousand years. Who's going who's to break in? Who's going to break in? Total, total confidence in his system. He's in a banquet hall that, that archaeologists have found to be about 57 feet wide and 150 feet long with plaster behind, plaster was right behind the throne chairs where he was, and we believe that's where this, this hand was writing on the wall. And he's in this context, and we have this big party going on, and something weird happens. A hand comes to write on the wall, and that wasn't in the plans. And how did the hand get in? And Belshazzar, as the text reads, is terrified. He's, he's afraid of what this means. And his knees knock together, and his legs give way. He has to sit down. And then, very important word in verse 8. Check it out in verse 8. Then, what's that second word? Then, Little word, three letters, heard some of you say it, all, then all. You didn't say it loud because you weren't confident enough that was the right word I was looking for, but that is the right word, all, all. Check out what happens. All the king's wise men came in. That means all. Every one of the wise men that King Belshazzar had at his disposal come in now. 
Because if you don't, you know that you're going to be killed. All right? This is a moment where the king is fearing of what's going to happen. He calls in everybody that he knows. And here's what's so important about this. He calls in everybody that he knows, all of the wise men that are at his disposal, come in. And they are, the text reads at the end of verse 9, baffled. Baffled. <clears throat> and then verse 10. And evidently it takes a woman to set him straight. All right, we'll, give, we'll give credit for that just for a moment. Not too much credit though, all right? Verse 10, the queen, and we think, by the way, uh, you should know in, in writings like this, um, there's no designation for father or grandfather in the Old Testament text here. They'll often refer to a grandfather as a father or your father's father. So we think that Nebuchadnezzar was actually Belshazzar's grandfather, and we think the queen who's introduced here is actually his grandmother rather than his mother or his wife. Okay, So we believe that the queen would be um, his grandmother here. Okay, So the queen... Hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Very matriarchal figure, very influential person. She said, uh, don't be alarmed and don't look so pale. Take it easy, take it easy. A woman is here to settle you down. All right, calm down. Verse 11. And then, here's so, so profound. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. And this man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, that sounds a lot like your name, Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. And he'll tell you what the writing means. Let's stop it there. Isn't, isn't this amazing? Daniel has to be introduced to the king. I mean, are you kidding me? In chapter 4, Daniel is right-hand man to the king. He is a man of influence. In chapter 4, when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, needs help interpreting a dream, he comes to Daniel. Daniel's life has been all about influence. In his younger years, he was helping set policy. He was helping to set the culture of the entire nation. He was a man of incredible power, incredible influence. And now, just 36 years later, the current king doesn't even know he exists anymore. He's been, and you ever felt this way? Forgotten. It's like all the work of his younger years are gone. His moment in the sun, gone. The current king doesn't even know him. And check it out in verse verse, uh, 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? In other words, I don't even recognize you. You don't even look familiar. Are you on Facebook? Because we're not friends. Like, I, I don't even know who you are. And this is very significant for thinking about how in the world do we keep our edge as we age? How in the world do we keep bitterness, frustration, and anger from settling in when things change around us and we lose our voice of influence, like Daniel clearly has? He's not the decision maker. He's not been involved in this kingdom for years, long enough where this king right now, Belshazzar, doesn't even know him. They can't even see him on the street and recognize him. It's an amazing turn of events from where Daniel used to be, second in 
command in the entire Babylonian empire. And here's what Belshazzar says to him. Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. And the wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard, again, because I don't know, but other people have told me, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and will have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. (laughs) At which point Daniel is like, buddy, I'm 80 years old. I don't need your money. I don't need your power. In fact, he says to him, you can read it in the text later on if you like or now if you like, I don't need your gifts. You can keep what you have. Earlier in my life, maybe. At this point, no. I don't need what you have to give me. But he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, excuse me, he says in verse 17, you keep the gifts for yourself and the rewards of someone else. Nevertheless, middle of verse 17, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And then he goes on to explain to him in verses 18 on down through the last part of this chapter what's going to happen. I'm going to summarize that for you. Essentially, he's saying, oh, Belshazzar, what's going to happen is that um, your pride has gotten in the way of your ability to lead this people. You've forgotten that there is a God above you who is more sovereign than you are. You've been comfortable in this kingdom that you have. And he read the writing on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, parson, Aramaic terminology, meaning that you've been weighed and measured and your days are numbered, or you've been found wanting. And he predicts to him, basically, that your life will be taken from you. To which, oddly enough, the king is like, thank you for telling me that. Here's a, here's a purple robe for you to wear, which, you know, perhaps would be surprising. But nonetheless, the truth is, historically, then, we see that this king is murdered that very night. That the Medes and the Persians who are outside the city They had diverted the Euphrates River, which went south through the Babylonian Empire there. They diverted that, and they walked in basically under the wall on the riverbed, and they came into an unsuspecting, um, aloof people and overtook the city. And that king, Belshazzar, was killed that very night, and his life was taken from him after Daniel interpreted it. But verse 17 is interesting, isn't it, even in its own right? That in this moment, as Daniel is finally brought back in. He answers the king. He says, you can keep your gifts and rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. He didn't say, all right, so now you, now you want me? Like, now? Like after all this time, you didn't care about my voice anymore? Now you want it? I told you so. And it's also amazing to me that Daniel um, is still relied upon by this queen. In other words... Daniel, in the years of his silence, the years where he fell off the radar, his reputation, here's what's so important for us as we, to think about how we age. When our influence pulls back from the mainstream, when we no longer are the decision makers, when we no longer are an influence like that, Daniel's reputation as being a man of integrity stayed intact even as he pulled out of the influencing decision-making process. Even as he was pulling out, and here's what would have happened. You know this would have happened too. If Daniel would have grown bitter in his old age, if he would have spoken negatively about the king and the policies, if he would have raised havoc in the kingdom about what he thought was egregious misjudgments and error, do you think his reputation would be there? Do you think the queen in the moment of great 
need would have come to King Belshazzar and said, hey, I have a guy, he's a little crazy right now, but maybe he can help you. Her explanation to him was, I have a man that you, that you should know about, that you've marginalized, that you have forgotten about. But nonetheless, he's been a man of character, even though he has no influence in your kingdom right now, he is still known as a man of influence. He's still known as a man of integrity. Call him, bring him here, that he can speak to you. And we can say, even if it's by argument of silence, that Daniel has not allowed the bitterness and the frustration to grow in his heart from having to be pulled away from that voice of influence. And he's brought before the king and says his peace to the king. And the king hears what happens and the king's life is taken. So here's what we want to say this morning. That, <laughs> that keeping your edge while aging would be easy if there were no obstacles, right? Keeping your edge while aging would be easy if there were no obstacles. And again, you may look at me and say, you don't know anything about aging. And others will look at me and say, man, tell me what you know about aging because you are old, right? And I get that, I get that. But here's what we know. Internally and externally, things happen differently, right? In internally, there is discouragement that sets in, right? There's depression that sometimes sets in when our voice of influence doesn't carry like it used to. There's self-doubt about our legacy and our heritage, about our parenting, about the way we ran businesses, about regrets and decisions that we made in the past. There's decisions that our children or grandchildren are making, and we think maybe if I would have parented different or led different or whatever different, right, things might be different. And that can settle into a kind of internal uh, depression, discouragement that settles into us as we age. And so we need to keep encouraging one another. That's part of it internally, that, that battle that happens. Externally, hey, we know the drill. We don't get healthier generally as we get older, right? Things just break down. And externally, that just can be a regular daily battle and beating depending on who you are and how your health issues hit you. It can be very difficult, both internally and externally, to age well. So aging well would be easy if there were no obstacles at all. But here's what I want to give to you. I want you to think back to the two people that you had in your mind at the beginning of this message. All right? I want you to think back to the two people, one who aged well and one who aged poorly. All right? And I want you to think, how would they have handled if they were Daniel and they had a position of influence in chapter 4, a great position of influence, and then it was all taken away from them, and they were so marginalized that the decision-making people didn't even know who they were and didn't even recognize them by, by facial recognition. If they were pulled out of that and their life went through such a transition, such a change, how would they have reacted? Think for a moment about the two people, the one who aged poorly in your mind and the one who aged well. How would they have handled that situation? Just take a moment and think about them. And it almost doesn't even take a moment, does it? Because even without me finishing the sentence, you know what they would have been like, right? You know what the person who aged poorly would, would act like, and you know what the person who aged well would act like, don't you? Here's what I want to give you. Because I know some of you don't think I'm old, and I really like that, so I'm going to keep milking that for what it's worth. I want to give to you two people who I think we can agree, at least one who's old, all right? Um, let's go with Billy Graham, all right? Billy Graham has written a work called Nearing Home, all right? And um, here's, here's what he had to say as he wrote this book, Nearing Home, and his, uh, the guy who was interviewing him named Chuck Bentley, Chuck asked him this question. He said, uh, how do we remain productive servants in our senior years? Good question. Billy Graham, who's 93 years old at the time of writing this, he said, um, to answer that question, great question. Pray and ask the Lord to show you what you can do as you transition your time and talents. 
Get involved in your local church and other ministries that point people to Christ. This will stretch you and challenge you to grow deeper in your own faith. Whatever you do, keep your mind and your body occupied. Don't give laziness or boredom a chance to take root in your soul. The devil delights in someone who is idle or bored, and he knows this leads to temptation or discouragement. But the person who's occupied with worthwhile activities is far less vulnerable. One day you may not be able to do everything you once did or everything you feel like you would like to do. Instead of feeling guilty or frustrated or resentful, however, thank God that you can still do some things. And make it your goal to do them faithfully and do them well. You may still be an active senior adult or you may be riddled with aches and confined to bed. But you can still be a productive servant of Jesus Christ by filling your mind with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and impacting those around you with hope. 93-year-old guy. I don't know what you categorize as old, but I might put him in that category. And I think that's okay. Because of the respect and honor that are given to those who age well in our, in our scriptures. One other fellow by the name of John Piper, you may know John Piper. Piper wrote a little work called Rethinking Retirement, Finishing Life for the Glory of Christ. In that work, he talked about the guy by the name of Raymond Lal. Raymond was a, a teacher um, uh, and he was born in 1235 off the coast of Spain. Um, Raymond gave his life to teaching and all that, but he also um, had visited earlier in his life the little country of what is now known as Algeria. And he had shared with people there who were Muslim at the time his faith in Christ. Toward the end of his life, as he was kind of transitioning from the full-time teaching role, he decided, that, you know, he asked the question, as we all do, like, what's next, you know? Like, <laughs> how should I kind of play the string out of my life? And he said that he wanted to finish with the warmth of the love of Christ in his life. Now, what that meant for him was not um, crossword puzzles and, you know, not that I have anything against crossword puzzles, right? It sounds like I do have something against crossword puzzles. Forget the crossword puzzle, right? What this meant for him was not just sitting around and waiting for life to come to, come to end and playing nice music in the background and the love of Christ. What he meant was the love of Christ compels me the love of Christ compels me to continue to live my life on mission and on purpose. So in, at the age of 79, in the year 1314, he went back to Algeria and, and, and for a year, behind the scenes, kind of as a, uh, we, we call it a tent maker, someone who doesn't come professionally as a missionary, but he re-engaged with people who he had met in Algeria who were Muslim, who converted to faith in Christianity and helped build the church for a year. In 1315, at the age of 80, which is the same year, same age as Daniel in our text this morning, um, Hull decided um, that being in the background was not for him. And so he went out into the marketplace in, in his town in Algeria. And he said, I, I, uh, I need to tell you all about my faith in Christ. And he was arrested and sentenced to be stoned to death. And that sentence was carried out. And this man, who many of you probably have never heard of, Raymond Lull, born in 1235 at the age of 80 years old, on June 30th, 1315, was stoned to death for his faith in Christ in Algeria. So we asked the question, what does it mean to finish well? And I'm telling you, if he would have taken his retirement savings and gone off and done whatever he needed to do in retirement, I wouldn't be talking about him today. You wouldn't be hearing about him today. He wouldn't be an inspiration to anybody. He would just be a guy who played out the string and finished it out. But because he did something very unusual, and because he said, I refuse to lose the edge as I age, we're talking about him. We're talking about not just him, but his faith. What would it be, what is it that compels somebody to do that? 
to take the end of my years and not just pack it up and go home and hope to finish out the string, but to keep my edge as I age. That even when I lose my influence, like Daniel had lost it, when called upon, I'm ready because my character is outstanding, my faith is consistent, I'm keeping that edge as I age. You know, <laughs> you put it this way to you. The people we remember, and you see it up here now, the people we remember stand out because of their unusual commitment to something greater than themselves, no matter the obstacles. Those are the people we remember. We don't remember the people who just, just ease it and kind of put it in neutral and finish out the momentum of life until they kind of, kind of wave down like that. No one wants that. You don't want that. I know you don't want that. And I don't want that. And so the question becomes, um, how in the world, how in the world am I going to be remembered? How in the world are people going to remember me? And if you are honest, you don't ever want, in your mind, when I would ask the question to a future generation if I'm alive then, if I ask this congregation or whatever in, in 30 years, think of someone who aged poorly. Think of someone who aged well. You know you don't want your name over on this side of the ledger, and you know you want it over here. And let me tell you, your name, here's what I believe is true, your name is over here already for somebody. That someone, I have no doubt, is looking at you now, whether it's a grandchild, a son or a daughter, a coworker, a neighbor, and saying of you, this person is aging well. Now, you may or not feel like that, but I believe it's true. And, and I want to come back to C.S. Lewis when he said this, you are never too old to set another goal and never too old to dream a new dream. Daniel was a man who faced the stare down in that moment. I've lost my influence. I'm a nobody. The king doesn't even recognize me. I used to have all the influence in the world. And when called upon, when asked to do something, came without agenda, came with grace and truth, and spoke and said, I don't need what you have, but nevertheless, let me tell you, here's what's going to happen. How to keep your edge when you age. The temptation is always going to be, and you know it as well as I, to pull back and cruise control and let younger people do what they're going to do and the next generation do what they're going to do. Sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes it doesn't. That interaction between generations is what we need. But as Daniel, as we see Daniel pulling back and losing that influence, coming up and stepping up to the plate, being ready and keeping his integrity intact. As you and I age, and you're already older now than you were 30 minutes ago when I started, as you and I age, which we all do, I want to encourage you to keep the edge as you age, that we can be remembered not just as great people, but as men and women who serve a great God, who do something outstanding with our lives, no matter how old we are, because you're never too old to dream a new dream. You're never too old to set a new goal, no matter, no matter, no matter your age. The Bible has an incredible amount of great things to say about how in the world we can age well. And I want to be with you in that process of keeping our edge as we age together. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this little window into the life of Daniel, a man of great influence who lost a ton of it and in a moment was brought back into a moment of, of influence in front of the king and asked all of a sudden to be a guy to to share and speak and, and do his thing when for what seems like a generation or two he was forgotten and just pushed along the sideline. So Father, I pray for us if we are in that situation now, if there are those sitting here this morning or those listening who feel like that, 
feel forgotten, marginalized, pushed off, out of the decision-making role when they have used to being in that decision-making role. I pray for great grace. I pray for great courage to continue to lead well, even though they may not be in charge, to continue to model well for all the people who are watching, for all the people who need encouragement, for all of the people who need a model of what in the world it looks like to keep our edge as we age. So, Father, we thank you for the hard realities that we see even in the Scripture of a man with a character set of Daniel, with the skill of Daniel, with the intellectual capacity of Daniel, who nonetheless lost all influence in the world in which he lived for a period of time in his life. We thank you, Father, that we are never too old. We are never too old to make a difference. We are never too old to be used by you. And I pray that you would continue to move us and shape us to be people of courage, no matter how old we are. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.